0: Welcome to the Healthy Hustling Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Broadworth, and today uh, I've got Dr. Kendall Hamilton with me that I'm going to be talking to, and Dr. Hamilton is an orthopedic surgeon and specializing in sports medicine and arthroscopic surgery. He got his medical degree from Indiana University School of Medicine. He specializes in shoulder, elbow, knee, and cartilage transplantation. He served as the assistant team physician for the Houston Astros Ballet, the Houston Dynamo, the Rockets, and Texans, as well as Rice University and the NASA Astronaut Corps. He is currently the team physician for Davenport University here in Grand Rapids, as well as Grand Rapids Catholic Central, and he was recently voted one of GR Magazine's top surgeons. Um, So thanks so much for uh, coming on with me, Dr. Hamilton. That's An awesome list of uh, (laughs) accolades, I'd I'd say, that you've racked up. But, um, yeah, thanks for coming out.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Eric. And hope recovery is is going well for you.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's going really well. So for those of you um, who don't know, Dr. Hamilton did my surgery on my pec repair. Uh, So I had the pec tear, and I can't thank him enough. He got me in. Right away, we had surgery, got got it identified, um, and had surgery within really a week, eight days of it happening. And, uh, just the research shows is the sooner you get that done, um, the less complications you'll typically have with the surgery. Uh, and, and it's really worked out so well, well so far. And, uh, yeah, and then I've treated several of, uh, his patients in the past, and I knew that, you know, Dr. Hamilton, you were one of my go-to uh, guys. If I were to have any type of shoulder or knee issue, you know, I tell a lot of my patients, I, I've got a select few of, select few surgeons that I go to, and you're definitely one of the, one of my go-to guys, and um, I definitely can't thank you enough. So to start, um, how did you get into your field? How'd you end up becoming an orthopedic surgeon, and when did you realize you wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon?
1: That's a great question. So funny story, so I have to give all credit to my mom. So my mom is the one who really started me on the path to medicine. Um so my mom is uh she's an amazing woman. She definitely speaks her mind. And um I just remember being about twelve years old, uh, hanging out at a family reunion and some of the uh the family members, cousins, aunts and uncles were going around asking all of the younger kids, uh, what do we want to be when we grow up? And, you know, typical kid, I know I wanted to either like Play in NFL or, uh, you know, be a sports broadcaster, something having to do with sports. And my mom, uh, she didn't even let me answer. She jumped in front of me right before I was about to answer. And she, she said, he wants to be a doctor. And I was like, well, wow, you know, never really, uh, never really thought about that. Don't even know what that entails, but, uh, sure, I want to be a doctor. So I actually said it after she had said that that's what I, the path I was going to be on. And, and it just kind of stuck ever since I was 12 years old. I, I just kind of started gearing all of my studies, my focus into being a doctor. And so
0: mom knows best. <laughs> I I definitely agree with you there as far as mom knows best. It's funny how uh, mom can have, know what's right and kind of pick some things out. I, I, I've got a little bit of a similar story in terms of, I did not want to do a foreign language my last year of high school, and my mom was like, you're doing you're doing Spanish. I don't care that you don't want to do it. You're going to do it. And I'm a senior, and I'm like, all right, I guess, whatever. Mom's making me do it. So I'm in with all of these freshmen as a senior in high school. wasn't ideal at the time at all, but I found I actually liked it a little bit and ended up minoring in Spanish. And uh, that really, though, opened doors for me, and I really think helped uh, make me more well rounded and really help to boost my resume so I could get into physical therapy school, become a physical therapist, and really then connect with patients that, you know, speak another language a lot better. So it's, it's funny how those kind of things work out, that's for sure. Um, so what's been your favorite experience so far as an orthopedic surgeon? I mean, you've gotten to work with NASA. The the Rockets, the Dynamo, the Ballet. You're here in Grand Rapids, working with um you know sports teams here. What's been your your favorite experience so far?
1: That's a really, that's a really good question. Um, so really all of it. I I would say if I had to take two things and, and sum up my job, um, one is the people we meet. Right. I mean everybody's got an amazing story, and I just think that I've been so privileged to um just be a small chapter and everybody's story right just you know injuries can be devastating injuries can be life-altering life-changing they're never convenient right um and so just being able to connect with people hear their story and hopefully i've helped a lot of people along their journey uh just kind of close this chapter get over an injury and come back stronger than they were before um so I, i would say meeting new people would be obviously at the top hearing people's stories. And then a very close second is being a team position. I think that um, it, it's just an experience that's very hard to describe. It's so inspiring to be invited into their kind of personal sanctuary, so to speak, right, where they train, where they put forth all the put forth all of their efforts. Um, you know, you've got weeks and weeks of two a days or, or off season work that culminates into to one moment, one game, and you get to be a witness to that. And, You get to be on the sidelines and um, build relationships with people and see kind of some of their most vulnerable moments, right? And and when they go down um, with an injury, uh, right there on the sideline, you have an opportunity to help immediately um, to make a diagnosis, to make a call to get them back in the game, um, and and it's 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 something I wouldn't trade for anything in the world. So,
0: yeah, you know, going off of that with uh, the impact that you have on people and you talking about seeing people at their most vulnerable. um, I give you and and surgeons uh, so much credit because when I see people with an initial injury and if it's not looking good, I always find, like, it's it's tough for me to say, this isn't looking good. I'm not confirming this, though. Here, I'm going to refer you on to you know, Dr. Hamilton and he's going to take a look at you and determine, you know, what are the next steps? Is physical therapy appropriate or really do we need to, do we need to take time off? Are you looking at surgery? Um, and really, uh, have him take a look at it, um, versus me making this call. And so it's, my job's kind of easy when it comes to that part because I can kind of push it, push it off, right? I don't have to get the bad news. I don't have to be that bearer of bad news. And, um, it's never easy telling someone like with what you said, as far as telling them that they have to have a life altering or career altering surgery that they have worked so hard and their identity is wrapped up in with athletes, you know, being an athlete, being that, that football player, hockey, golf, ballet, whatever it is. And you're telling them you're going to have to shut it down for the rest of the year. And not only for the rest of the year, but really like you have to retool, to be prepared maybe in nine months or 12 months, or maybe you, you don't ever play again. Maybe this is it. And so, um, it can't be easy, but then at the same time, like what, helping people through their journey of life, right. Trying to make a positive out of that negative, I think is, uh, is really the rewarding part of, of the job.
1: Yeah.
0: I couldn't agree more. I mean, just, Being able
1: to reframe that perspective oftentimes, especially when you encounter high school seniors, right, college seniors, and it's towards the latter half of their career, and and, and maybe they're not going to ever play again if they're not going to take the next step to go to the next level, right? Um, Being able to reframe how many ways that you can impact life or impact the sport that you love um, that doesn't necessarily involve participating in it the same way many other things that we we can do and just um the stories that people have of overcoming are inspiring And those stories we have to share with everybody right because because there's always someone who's coming out of an injury and always someone who's going through an injury and they can both help each other it's it's been just a true blessing to me just to be a part of this this whole thing so
0: yeah yeah absolutely i think uh people's stories um you could have said it better, really. Everyone's always looking for how, how is that? What did that person do? You know, if you're in the physical therapy clinic and you, you see someone else and it's like, oh, they're here for their knee. Oh, they had an ACL injury. Um, how are they doing? Are they back? Like, and they'll they'll chat back and forth and share their story and um, yeah, and they'll kind of inspire each other and you know, kind of give each other the nudge like, you got it. You just gotta keep going. You gotta gotta do what you're told. You gotta to, gotta grind it out a little bit. Um. But yeah, and so today we're going to talk a little bit more about pec tears with you having operated on me. Um, you know, pec tears as we've discussed, it's a rare injury. It's not common at all. However, it's becoming more prominent, and I think one of the reasons it's becoming more prominent is just more people are becoming active, more people uh I think are getting in the gym. It's just maybe that's getting a little more popular, but the majority of pectares, about 60%, according to research, or greater than 60%, occur with the bench press exercise. Uh, and it's typically an active male adult's age 20 to 40. Um, what is your recommendation for athletes and active individuals who are looking to avoid this type of injury? Because I know a lot – I've kind of unfortunately scared a lot of people, and they're like, I saw your injury, and I do not want that happening to me. And I tell them, you know, this is something rare. You shouldn't really be that afraid of it. But there's always things that you can do to prevent it. So what do you tell those uh, those people?
1: The first thing I would tell people is don't stop being active, right? Um, being active and living, living a, a healthy, active lifestyle is good for our emotion, our spirit, our mental health, right, on top of being physically fit and well. So don't stop being active. Some injuries, a lot of injuries are just a part of exercise. They're a part of, of being healthy and trying to, to stay conditioned and, and well-trained. So I would tell people, don't stop being healthy. The second thing I would say is, you're right, it's a very rare injury, and it is a huge male predominance in terms of the people who get this. So is there something about the anatomy that predisposes people to a pec injury, or is there something about the type of exercise that predisposes someone to a pec injury. So like you just accurately quoted, 60% of these occur during bench press. So we see this more often than not with free bench press, using free weights versus using machine weights. So there are so many ways, right, that we can train our pec muscles, so many ways that we can build and define our chest, so many different ways that we can do things, right, whether it's stability ball, whether it's kettlebell training, whether it's Um, Just different type of resistance bands. There's so many different ways to train the chest. And so I would say the people who are most vulnerable are people who are trying to increase max or doing close to max eccentric bench pressing. I think that puts the muscle on stretch. And what the research shows is when you come down or decelerate from a bench press, you actually lengthen the fibers of the pec and eccentric exercises are good because they help us grow, they help us generate the most force. They they provide more circulation and blood flow to tendons. So eccentric exercises are that coming down and lengthening of the muscles is important, but it also puts you in the most vulnerable position in regards to a pec injury. So coming down with a bench press on the chest and getting ready to explode up, that transition period are where people are most vulnerable. And so doing less heavy weights so not going to max or not going to close max, maybe 60% of max and maybe doing more volume, right? Being aware of how fatigued you are. We know that muscle fatigue, right, changes form. When your form is off, you're more, more at risk for injury, right? Making sure you're aware of your environment and having people around you that can help you so you're not overexerting yourself shortening your range of motion, right? So if we know that we're maximally stretching those fibers when we come down to deceleration, right? Then maybe we're we're, we're decreasing our range of motion when we bench press. Or again, just modifying some of the activities we do in order to pull the chest. And then the last thing would be not overusing, right? Overuse always exposes us to injury. So not doing the chest workout or working the same muscle groups more than twice a week, and not more than than once in a 24 hour period.
0: Yeah. No, I think I think those are all uh, all really good tips, and that's one thing I you know I don't think the research is defined at all. Is you, you talked about the anatomy, and you're seeing more and more uh, females in powerlifting and doing bench press. And I do you think that anatomy and the way that Males are built with a wider chest plays a role similar to females with ACL injuries, right? Wider hips is possibly part of it with the Q angle and everything like that. Do you think that's similar with, with males for the bench press? Because there are some documented cases for females with a pec tear, but I mean, very, very, I it's probably like, I don't even know how many. I would that's guess to like probably. 10.
1: Yeah. 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 I think you're right. I think you're on something. I, we, we haven't clearly defined that relationship in research. Um, but theoretically, when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense, right? The, the wider the chest, the longer the lever, right? And so, so the longer the lever, you should decrease the weight, right? Because physics tells us if there's a lever plus weight, then that's going to be more force, right? More resistance. And so what happens is we're trying to get to max, right? And so we have a longer lever, you have those longer fibers, and then you're not only trying to get to your max or more weight, you're increasing range of motion, and I just think that puts you at a a vulnerable position, and that increases the risk of rupture. And it's also the type of exercises, right? Um, This may be something that has more of, um, you know, a, a power lifting trend, maybe, or typically has been a more... Uh, popular field of, amongst males, and that may put them at higher risk.
0: Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, when when do you recommend surgery for this type of injury? I know we've talked about this, but I think this would be good for other people to hear. And when do you recommend conservative care, whether it's just rest or, or physical therapy? Um, what are those options for essentially healing and recovery and making uh, come back to an active lifestyle?
1: Yeah, so first thing is identification, right? So say we're in a position where we've had an acute injury to the chest, to the chest wall. Those things are usually seen or represented by a tearing sensation in the chest, an audible pop that you may hear, uh, followed by a deformity that you see along the chest wall. And then very quick, quickly, you may see bruising. You may see a sad nipple sign is what we call it loss of tension in the axilla, but the axillary fold may lose its tension, um, and then you, you will see a loss of strength and pain. So if any of those symptoms are present, I think that getting to um, an orthopedic surgeon or a non-orthopedic sports medicine physician um, would be probably the first step to be evaluated. And then the first initial evaluation may uh, start with, you know, an MRI, which is a way to evaluate the tendons. Once we've ate, once we've been able to evaluate the tendons, then we can make a recommendation of treatment. So what we've seen and what we know from the anatomy, that a complete muscle tear or a tear that's localized only to the muscle tends to heal fairly well with physical therapy only. So if you have just a strain of the muscle, whether that's a type 1 strain, partial tear, or even a complete tear, but it's localized only to the muscle, and physical therapy is typically the recommended treatment, and that can be anywhere from four to twelve weeks to full recovery, depending on you know the severity of that typical tear. If the tear marches along to where the tendon and the muscle join, we call that the musculotendinous junction. Then surgical repair has been advocated for those musculotendinous junction tears. If the tear is in the tendon, so a tendonous tear, or if the tendon avulses off the bone or rips away from the bone, then surgery are recommended for those as well. So non-surgical treatment typically seen for people who have tears that are localized just to the muscle, but if it's a muscle tendon tear or a tendon bone tear, surgery has really good outcomes, and doing surgery acutely within the first three weeks shows the best promise in getting you back to um, pre-injury level form.
0: Yeah, and one thing that I found is that a lot of people with this type of injury, uh, they end up having to wait whether they put it off themselves, and I think that's probably the biggest thing, but they ended up the average time uh, between the injury and surgery is about three months or a little over three months. And just as you said, I mean, if you're getting at that three-month mark, trying to do surgery and then recover um, you're really looking at the research is saying six months to get back, but I would tell people it's really looking like nine to 12 months before you're fully healed. You're back at a hundred percent, you know, as we discussed that, uh, six months, you're really at like 80% and you're really starting, you're able to push it more and not have to worry about, uh, you know, having that re-rupture as much. Um, but it, yeah, I think that time between injury and surgery is vital for sure.
1: This is this is one of those early recognition is better, and seeking out an expert opinion early is very important for this one because timing is everything, just like you described.
0: Yeah. Uh, and then just curious, so kind of going into the surgery um, piece, and I'm just curious, when you say, so if you look, and we talked about buttons, right? You put buttons down. What what are the buttons? Can you tell people like what that is that you're attaching, essentially, like the tendon to the bone?
1: Yeah. So the the type of repair, right? There's different types of repairs. So what well, the type of injury that you had was a tendon avulsion from the bone. And uh, if if you look at the anatomy of the pectoralis tendon, um, the pectoralis is made of two major muscle groups. There is what we call the sternal portion or the portion of the pectoralis that comes from the lower sternum and then attaches to the inner side of the humerus. And then you have the clavicular portion, or it's the portion of the the pectoralis that comes from the clavicle and then attaches onto the, uh, the inner side of the humerus. And so most of the time people just injure the sternal head. So that's you know, can be called a partial tear or just a sternal head tear, but you actually injured both the sternal and the clavicular tendons. So I think you were lifting like 450 pounds, 500 yeah, pounds. It
0: was, it was like 500. I was going really hard that day. It, I, it, was, it was it was insane, and I think you were you were doing it one
1: handed, wasn't that? Yeah. One-handed <laughs> 500 pounds, I mean, it should have been in, like, you know, the Guinness Book of World Records, or, you know. It's definitely on TikTok by now, right? Yeah. So, so most people tear the external head. That's most common. Um, but um, higher energy mechanisms, you can tear both heads. And so when we look at repairing this, our goal, right, is to anatomically reattach the tendon to the bone. And there's a lot of different ways that you can do that, right? You can place small little holes in the bone and then use just stitches and tie it the tendon back to the bone you can use what's called a suture anchor which is a screw that has a small little rope attachments to it and you can then place the ropes through the tendon and then you can um, secure the tendon to the bone that way Um, but we use kind of a novel technique that has been designed by a a company called Arthrex um, in which we use uh, titanium buttons and these buttons go into the bones we drill small little holes We place these buttons into the bone, and we flip the buttons 90 degrees. And what that does is it increases the pull-out strength of the button. So they go in through a small hole, and then once they're down and through the bone, we flip them 90 degrees so they can't pull out. Cool. Right? So super strong buttons, and then we use sutures through those buttons to re-anchor the tendon back to the bone. And it's, it's probably... Uh, when you look at the literature and the biomechanical strength, is probably the strongest repair
0: out. So okay, sounds kind of like a like a molly or something. If you're doing any home projects, <laughs> what sounds like to me a little bit. But um, so uh, I think one people or one athlete that a lot of people might hear of or remember is JJ Watt. He had a pec tear back in like 2018, uh, 2019. I think it was a 2019 season. And they said he was out for the season. He made a tackle. wasn't bench press. He made a tackle, tore his pec, went out. They identified it. He had surgery, I think, the next day. So within 24 to 48 hours, he was having surgery. Um, and they said his season was over. But then towards the end of the year, they're like, he might be coming back. And sure enough, he came back for playoffs. And so he was back in about three months. Um, what do you recommend to people that are – Trying to push the timeline ahead, and I'm not saying this is me that I'm going to be pushing the timeline ahead, by the way, and speed up the process to get on the field and get back to their prior level of activity. Cause you have like, you have him, you have Adrian Peterson, who it's in, it's incredible that they could come back and have, you know, play at that level. Um, but. As as a physical therapist, I think that's extremely risky. They have a lot of money on the line. You know, they're making millions, and uh, that's their job is to push the envelope a little bit. But what do you say to people It's like, oh, JJ, Watt came back in three months. I could do it in, you know, three or four.
1: I've I got a couple of thoughts on that. Thanks for putting <laughs> me on the spot, by the way. So, obviously, I, that's where I trained. And so, his surgeon was my fellowship director. So I think what you're getting at is, why didn't I fly you to Houston and have my <laughs> fellowship director? <laughs> right. <laughs> so you wanted the teacher, not the student, and is what I, I didn't.
0: I didn't even put two and two together that I, about J.J. Watt being on the Texans and that, yeah, you're <laughs> under him. <laughs> so I apologize for putting you on the spot there, but he was definitely the most noticeable as I'm doing all my research and everything.
1: <laughs> so you have the same exact repair using the same exact technique. Um, so it's either your surgeon wasn't as good as his surgeon <laughs> or his red blood cells and his healing mechanism is 10 times faster than yours. I don't know. but No, I, I think, <clears throat> I think it's a good question. So a couple of thoughts about that. Number one, um, you, you've got to define it by terror, right? Um, so was there a external and clavicular tear, which means it's a bigger tear, more force, right? And then you have to think about, then that's going to require more fixation, so a longer recovery time. Was it a partial tear versus, versus a sternal and clavicular tear? It's just one of those heads and not both of those heads rupture. The, the healing time is going to be shorter if you rupture one portion of the peck versus both portions of the peck. So we don't know. Uh, if it was a sternal and clavicular head rupture or if it was just a sternal head rupture. So that's number one. Number two, did the tear extend into the muscle? So sometimes the delay in recovery has to do with the tendon tore off of the bone, but there was swelling and damage that actually extended past the tendon and into the muscle, right? So that means it wasn't a, a super clean tear. It was a more of a jagged type tear, and there's a lot of fallout damage from that type of tear that extends into the muscle that can slow the recovery. And then probably the most important factor is J.J. Watt is an elite athlete. And there's a reason why he's elite, and there's a reason why he's J.J. Watt, right? He he heals like none of us typically do. He's probably in the top 2% of how people heal, right? Um And so it probably has a lot to do with J.J. Watt um and the fact that he's an amazing and an amazing athlete, so.
0: Yeah, those are always those are always incredible stories, but when, you know, when athletes and people want to push the envelope and they're looking things up like this and um a lot of times and I'm sure you find this it's like you got to you got to pull them back and especially JJ Watt like I said, I mean, he's got millions. He's got a lot of different resources than most people have as far as like uh with regards to rehab your professional athletes, they're going to physical therapy typically twice a day um working on different things right and that's not to say anyone that's listening to this you shouldn't necessarily be trying to push it at a twice a day it's very very structured in how they're going about it but again he's got access to a lot of different resources than most people um have uh so yeah so what's the success rate um with this surgery and should athletes uh, that have a PEC there, should they be, consider- be concerned about any re-injury or re-rupture?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So a couple things. Let's hit the timeline, right? So we break up the timeline in phases. Phase one, we look at protecting the repair, and that's usually somewhere between four and six weeks. So swing immobilization with passive stretching of the tendon, right? And that's for four to six weeks, right? We don't want to do a lot of active contraction or pull cool on that repair site. Phase two, we're getting into more active range of motion. So we are we are activating the tendon under a control or in a control setting with a controlled environment. Phase three, we're doing more strengthening and resistance. At that point in time, we think that there's enough healing of the tendon that resistance only strengthens the fibers in the healing site. So phase one, we protect it for repair integrity. Uh, phase two, we do more active motion in a supervised and controlled environment. Phase Was it the sternal and clavicular tear? Was there associated damage into the muscle, right? All of these things come into play after you define if you got it fixed at the right time, right? So then if it was a chronic tear that got uh, repaired or it needed to be rebuilt with a graft, then you're delaying your timeline. But in people who have an acute tear, who get it treated early, have a secure repair, then you can expect that... 90% of those people will go back to full strength and ninety percent of those people will go back to pre injury activity levels. So the recovery and the outcomes are really good. There's a five to seven percent rerupture rate. And so oftentimes the people that rerupture, right, you have to see what category they fell in. Was it acute or chronic? What was the repair integrity? And then you've got to ask, they go back to very similar mechanisms that caused the injury in the first place.
0: Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that definitely all makes sense. And I thought you broke that down really well. Uh, yeah. And the, the, the research on, like you said, uh, going back to prior activity level, it's really, really good. Um, I even saw like 95, 97% in certain studies. And then, um, some cases it was like over 100% as far as like strength gains in the, in the long term which is good. So the fact that you're getting that 97 to even over 100% of previous uh, strength is is really good signs. Um, so yeah, so kind of wrapping up a little bit, what's your favorite surgery? So this is not related to anything pec tears, but what's your favorite surgery or area of the body that you enjoy working with the most? The next one. <laughs> the next one? <laughs> That's a good one.
1: <laughs> no, um, obviously, obviously uh, connecting with people is important. So uh, if I had a favorite surgery, it probably goes in waves. Um uh, I would probably say ACL surgery just, just because I know that we're locked in together for a good six to nine months and there's a lot of motivation. There's a lot of inspiration. Um, you really get to connect with somebody after an ACL injury. And so that connection, building that relationship and just, and just being someone's cheerleader advocate is important to me and how I approach patients and patient care. And so I would say ACL surgery, at least right now.
0: Yeah. I, I agree with you. ACL, uh, ACLs are fun to work with on my end as far as seeing them go from A to, you know, the start to the finish line. Um, it's not an easy injury. It's not an easy surgery or recovery. And so to see people, uh, like you said at the very beginning, at their most vulnerable and where they get to at the end, it's always amazing. And I think there's so much more that you do an excellent job with your ACLs. And there's so much more though that we can do from, from a rehab standpoint, I think, to get better outcomes uh, with that. But that's a whole other story. Maybe um, hey, we'll
1: come back and talk ACL.
0: Yeah, we, I'd be happy to. I, I, I love talking ACLs. That's something I'm definitely passionate about. Um, but this being called the Healthy Hustling Podcast, what does healthy hustling mean to you? So final
1: question. Yeah. So when I think about healthy hustling, I think about you defining the goals that you have for your body. Being educated, um, about what healthy looks like, but yet having, having a, a true and authentic view of what your personal goals are. That no one defines your healthy for you. And then once you've defined your healthy, you attack it with everything in you. So that's healthy hustling for me. Yeah, I love it.
0: Where can people, if, uh, if people have questions, um, where can they contact you or if they have an injury that they're dealing with? Um and they're maybe looking at, at surgery. Uh I, I know you're you're on Instagram and stuff, but what's the best way for them to uh get a hold of you?
1: We definitely get a lot of people that come uh and reach out to us via in- Instagram. So I would say uh Instagram at Kindle Hamilton M D I'm sure you can put that up. But yeah. um that, that would be a primary way. You can also go to uh you can Google my name. We have a website, uh, through Spectrum health where you can contact me. You can look at Facebook reviews, what other people say um, about me and what we do. And so I think those would be the, the best ways to get a, uh, get a hold of me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'll definitely be putting that in the, uh, I'll put a link in the comments and everything like that. When we upload this, um, it'll be, this will be uploaded on, on YouTube and on Spotify, Apple, uh, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, all that fun stuff. So, Thanks so much uh, for coming on. I really appreciate it. I appreciate everything you know you've done for me and for just the the community and everyone you work with. You do an excellent job. Couldn't recommend you enough to people. Um, so yeah, I look forward to continuing to work with you because you'll definitely be seeing me in I think four weeks here. I got an appointment with you.
1: Hey, thanks a lot, Eric. I really um, best wishes on your journey. So we've got a long way to go, but we're gonna get there. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. You too. Yeah.